0: Welcome back to Beyond the Pond podcast. This episode, we discuss Cristiano Ronaldo's move to Al-Nasir, Aston Villa's diversity and inclusion officer's Islamophobic tweets, and Vinicius Jr.'s racist abuse. Now let's get straight into it. Firstly, before we talk about Ronaldo, let's uh we just want to say uh R I P to Pele, uh a legend of the game who did so much football in mean, three World Cups. No, no one has matched that, and just uh as just being an icon of football for me personally, a black icon of football. Uh, you know, I don't. We don't want to talk too much on it because there's other people you've seen him play or well, better link to him that could give him a much more, uh like a better better tribute than than we can but uh we just wanted to show him some love
1: yeah just quickly i've seen this all over twitter um and i think it just perfectly encapsulates him it said whatever your favorite player does pele did it first and i think that's just a great way um to describe him
0: yeah man yeah man i mean he'll never be forgotten and uh moving on to the first topic uh we talk about a player who i think for a long time people made debate that he he was a, a rival to Pele, in cristiano ronaldo he's had uh you know the career the goals he i think uh he did the he did the interviews in the summer and with pierce Morgan, and he spoke about his ambitions and uh you know sort of it looks like his His football career in Europe has uh, ended with a move to uh, Saudi club al-Nasir. And um, Arif, I just want to hear your thoughts about what do you think of Ronaldo making this
1: move? I think a couple years ago, if you take out the whole Man United second spell and Ronaldo was not as vocal as he is, I don't think there would have been much... uh, uproar or much negative attention to his move at all because a 38 year old um, player moving to the Middle East or America is common Um, usually in professional football your best years are past you by the age of 34 or 35 for him to make it to 38 um, and he's still playing I think it's, it's a testament to him as an athlete but I guess since coming to United and how much noise he's made regarding how he still believes at the top level, the Piers Morgan interview didn't help either, how he said he's had multiple offers across Europe and now he ends up going to the Middle East and then prior to that even saying, oh, I don't want to end my career playing at a low level in the Middle East or America now he ends up there and it's it's a bit embarrassing Um Yes, I think Ronaldo's mouth got him in trouble, if I'm being honest. If he wasn't the vocal kind, a 38-year-old, former star, moving to the Middle East, getting his last paycheck, I don't see the problem. But because of what Ronaldo set himself up as, it kind it's a bit of like a pie in the face.
0: Yeah, I have to, I have to agree. I mean, we touched on it at the interview. I mean, he made out the interview that United uh, execs wanted him gone. And then he, in the summer, his, his, his agents were putting out feelers saying he wanted to play for a Champions League club. That was, the, that was the narrative, Champions League, Champions League, Champions League. He he sees himself as Mr. Champions League. He's got the most goals in the Champions League. He's won five Champions Leagues you know, all of this. And I think what, what kind of happened here is a Champions League club didn't want him. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to disrespect the... Al Nassir and the, and the Saudi League, why like, you know, I don't, I want to like highlight the fact that, you know, arguably the team is coming into you that know, Al Nassir has a uh, Abi Bakr who, had a had a way better World Cup than than Ronaldo did in my opinion, Abi Bakr showed at Afcon and World Cup that he's still a quality player, so, it's clearly a league with, with with some good players. He may not Ronaldo may not even be the best striker at his new club, so. All this stuff about you know him moving to you know maybe a step down you know he may be moving from one bench to another bench but just getting paid a lot more but it is just because he run his mouth and I think it's just I think it's probably the, depending on where you lean on either the saddest bit of this or the funniest bit of this is Ronaldo and his team have sorely uh, overrated Ronaldo's ability. They thought they were way better than they really were. I think they thought it was only like United fans weren't appreciating him or like the manager were appreciating him. But I think sort of the World Cup is almost the final final nail in the coffin there, where you know he gets dropped and his sub the sub that replaces him scores a hat trick, and as the best Portugal looked, it just it just feels like his time at the on the big stages has uh is finished. And that's you know, yeah
1: and i think it hasn't helped either that his longtime rival uh, it will always seem like messi and ronaldo competing for one and two and the fact that messi has had such a successful world cup and he he won it and he was the main reason argentina won it and the way it seemed like he unified the team he was their gem he was the guy everyone tried protecting like de paul was called messi's bodyguard on the pitch um They all, pretty much all of the young players grew up watching Messi, it was really wholesome and then what you see with Ronaldo at the end of, um, early in the season with United, it seemed like he became like a drag as opposed to lifting people up. So just, just the comparison between the two, Messi's always been slightly younger but they are both at the latter end of their career and one player has slightly adapted his game and continue to thrive he may win another ballon d'or which is crazy at the age of 35 with all these super young like phenoms coming up and then yeah ronaldo just gone out it's 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 really sad but i think it also kind of shows you the mindset of certain athletes there are certain athletes that are ronaldo this ego this drive has gotten this far Let's. a lot of athletes need that and that's what's helped him get there and I think it's quite sad he's got to a point where his body can't keep up with his mindset so he probably in his mind still thinks he's the best he still thinks a team should be built around him he he doesn't need to change his game at all and um, unfortunately that's not the case and it, it kind of does highlight weaknesses in his game so if he had the ability to I'm sure he would have loved to drop deeper and play maybe a more uh, mid four role or like dictate play or be a bit more creative but unfortunately I don't think he's got that skill set either so I guess it just shows you how much how complete of a player Messi is compared to him. Messi still scores a, a hat full of goals but Ronaldo just it seems like it's either goals or nothing else which is sad um, yes yeah, so ever since I guess the age of like 32 when he lost that explosive pace it was kind of like goals were bust with him and yeah, I guess this is almost like the end of it.
0: Yeah, I mean we have to wait and see if uh, Messi will be better than Ronaldo is now in two years' time when he's Ronaldo's age. But I just wanted to wrap this up with the uh, rumor that we've uh, that you know has been sort of speculated around this move and the whole idea about how you know Newcastle, who are owned by the. Uh, Uh, PIF, the Private Investment Fund, uh, which is linked to the Saudi Crown, and the rumours that if Newcastle make the Champions League next season that they may uh, get Ronaldo on loan. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, Arif, about whether, I mean, Eddie Howe has uh, denied these rumours, or come out denied these rumours, but I feel like he's being diplomatic. Do you think there's any truth in this, and what would that mean? If they, if there was, if it did happen,
1: I know this ain't the same old Ronaldo. But if I've got an option to bring a thirty-nine or forty-year-old Ronaldo off the bench in the Champions League, I'm taking it. Like, as long as Ronaldo's happy with that role, I want to see it like almost money in the bank style WWE. It's the 90th minute, Newcastle quarterfinal away to Napoli. You bring, you bring Ronaldo off the bench, playing alongside Isaac and then get maxa uh, uh maximen on the wing Yeah, like i i personally think if that option is is there why not have ronaldo on your bench in the champions league mr champions league if you need that last minute goal yeah it's, it's, i personally i'd love that man i think i think just and and he can continue getting his champions league goals and uh padding his stats
0: now we're moving on to uh an incident that happened at aston villa and uh, now when you look for an uh, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer, something that would not really work for the role is if they had a, maybe said something offensive, something that wasn't very inclusive in the past. And in Aston Villa's case, uh, Lucy Keeling, uh, their current qualities Diversity and Inclusion Officer, had uh, Islamophobic tweets in the past uh, unearthed. And uh, Villa's response to this was that she was going to be... Uh, Reprimanded, but she wasn't going to lose her job. Instead, I think uh, going on a, a learning course. I think, and uh, I guess this leads to questions over how seriously is is uh, Islamophobia being taken, and you know, I I never want to compare different uh forms of discrimination, but you know. So it's very easy, I imagine, if you're Muslim, to look at this and think, would this, would she have kept her job if it was another form of discrimination? And Arif, as a as a Muslim man, I want to ask you how you felt about Aston Villa's response to uh, the the tweets.
1: I just think it's it's laughable. I feel like this whole thing is almost it almost feels like a skit. Like her role is a equality, diversity, and inclusion officer. Her job is to connect Aston Villa with underrepresented communities. Yet she's been found to have Islamophobic tweets. It makes zero sense to me. And the f- what annoys me more, and I guess this, is ju- this isn't this is even regards to Islamophobia. This is generally how seriously racism and uh, discrimination is taken. The fact that she retains her job. Imagine in any other walk of life when you've been incompetent and gone against the role you've been hired to do like directly against your role you've been hired to do you'd at minimum be taken away from your role and like there would be like a review and you'd go either unpaid or paid and not continue the role for at least a substantial amount of time i just think it's it's crazy how this like hasn't been tipped looked upon more seriously as well and i guess this opens a, a wider discussion that i've been uh, i have uh, feel passionate about as well with these sort of roles it's like i genuinely believe you have to have some form of lived experience because it's clear that she doesn't really care about diversity inclusion and she doesn't know the seriousness of like what racism or any form of like bigotry or discrimination causes because she's really and truly she's never been subject to it for sure she's a woman and i'm sure that comes with its own um issues that i could never relate to as a man but it's clear that like she's never been part of an underrepresented group and she don't know like the impact that's going to have and just for aston villa her job is to connect with those communities for those communities to reach out to her after this story comes out you think anyone's going to be like oh yeah she's she's got her back this this club stands for inclusion and representation for everyone no like you can't you can't take that sort of stuff seriously we've luckily enough had um the fulham diversity inclusion officer on the podcast speak to us and um i think it's well pointed out he's a black man in the sense that and, and when we spoke to him um even after podcasts he he's genuinely passionate about his role and what the responsibilities he has and he understands the responsibilities because he's he he has been um he probably knows what it means like to be to be part of these these underrepresented groups and what it means to be marginalized so he takes his job really seriously when you're giving these sort of jobs out it's not just your qualification that should be taken into account qualifications can't highlight what it means to be a person of colour, what it means to be a, a part of an underrepresented group. So, yeah, I just think, just generally, when we speak about these sort of stuff, when we have these sort of positions, please give it to people that genuinely care. We're in a day and age, Yosef, you, uh, you, you and me, we work in the sports media. We understand how difficult it is to get into certain positions. We've done over a year of training. We know what it takes, and for such roles to be seemingly given to any old fool, like with all due respect to her, like I just think what she did was fo- foolish. It just it just really gets me riled up, and I think, yeah, just generally when we when if you want this stuff to be taken seriously, with all the campaigns we've had, taking the knee, um, kick out racism, all these shirts that they love to annually have, it's all empty gestures. Now this just shows me it's all empty gestures. Put your Money where your mouth is, and actually implement changes, as opposed to just having these sort of gestures and hoping people learn. If you, if the people in charge of, in charge of changing this sort of stuff, have these sort of opinions, would you think? Like people outside, the, uh, in different roles in football, think of, um, have these sort of thoughts? It's just, it feels like to me, it's just tick boxing, and it's not taken seriously enough. And I think, it, I'm, uh, I'm getting a bit. Um, I'm I'm losing my train of thought because I've become so frustrated. But it's just, it really it annoys me how we we in this country we pretend like we're trying to make so much changes, but it seems that people in those positions don't really care. And I did a quick um, a bit a bit of research about like diversity uh, and inclusion officers across the Premier League, and I. I I am not saying that a white individual cannot be uh, a diversity and inclusion officer. I think 100% they can. But when it when you are a privileged individual that has not does not know the consequences of these sort of actions, you've never been on the end of it. I just don't feel like you can understand the severity of it, and that is really frustrating. Sorry, Joseph. I I. Don't know how long I went rambling on, but yeah, I just felt I just needed that off my chest.
0: No, man, it was good, man. You needed to let it out. And that's the point. What you're feeling is what, you know, a lot of people in the community that she's supposed to work for, like Aston Villa's in Birmingham. Birmingham has a big Muslim community and, you know, she needs to represent that community. And I know full well, if this if this blows up, and people protest this, then they will she will leave her job. And it's annoying that you kind of have to do this. It's like there should be it almost feels like there should be things in your contract that uh you know, if you if you if you do so like in most job contracts, you know, if you break the contract, you lose the job. And it, uh I find it insane that someone who's in a position that's supposed to promote equality, diversity and, in- and inclusion uh, like if if you're doing something that is offensive to a group, that should be a cause for you to lose your job, like these actions should have consequences it, is, it was, the tweets were before she became the officer but this was still, some of the tweets were when she was working for the Aston Villa Foundation that's a charity, she still in a position of responsibility with the club this isn't like this was when she was uh, a teenager or a kid or, you know, something she didn't know, but she still had a position of power, still had a position where she shouldn't have done what she did. And I, I don't know. I don't, the thing that worries me the most about this is uh, Villa's reasoning to why um, she would not lose her job. They said they considered it out of character and how, like, they were surprised you to conduct in the past now is exemplary and it's that's not how it works i feel like that's a, a dangerous logic to use where you know it almost feels like uh oh, i said this racist thing but i'm never usually right ra- is that a justification like that or oh, i have black friends sort of thing like that it's like well no because we've got evidence here that that your conduct isn't exemplary and <laughs> these are these are multiple tweets you know, I don't know about about you, but I don't think I've ever <laughs> sent out a tweet that has, uh, you know, insulted uh, a group.
1: <laughs> yeah, is- just sorry to interrupt you. It's like you're being applauded for something that should be a basic expectation. It's like, obviously, this is on extreme. Oh, I didn't assault someone. That makes me a good person. No, the expectation should be don't assault people. Like, yeah, the the reasoning is so stupid.
0: It really is, I man. And imagine if someone was in a role where—that's Well, that's the point. She's in a role for well. Is this? That's the point. This isn't like a player tweeted this, and then you know they have to go on a course, which you know even still, you know I think there should be if a player did this, there'll be questions about whether what the player did represents the values of the club. I want to see like a sincere effort to try and show that they have changed, but this is. It's like this is her. This is the thing she's supposed to, like, the one thing she's not supposed to do. The one thing she's supposed to work on, and she has, you know, objectively proven that she should not be in that job. And it almost feels like because they know her, you know, if she's been at the club for a long time, and people in the club may have been in good terms of her, it almost like ah, oh, you know. Oh, we'll go hard against racism, but we won't call it out if it's someone we know because they're our mate, and our mates can't be racist. And that's that's an issue that you see in, in like all, all all walks of life where you know if you truly really want to see racism change, you're gonna have to call out, you know, people that you don't expect, because that's sort of where the, the real everyday racism happens. It's not gonna be, you know, KKK members in hats outside our house. It's not gonna be the EDL people who are like you know the sort of obvious racist that's not how that's not how racism works on a day-to-day the way it works is people in positions of power being able to get away with you know having thoughts that you know are that that you know are, are offensive to certain groups or uh you know doing things that are offensive to certain groups And every time they do something like this you go oh no but that's not really done well you know, maybe maybe they showed us what they really are like, what they do behind closed doors.
1: Yeah, and I think just uh, to wrap up, if you haven't got anything to add after this, we. I'd like to say we're not people that don't allow people to make mistakes. We're not someone that says no one's irredeemable. Let's say if this was like a, a coach, it, it'd be more understandable her retaining her job. Her whole job, is to connect underrepresented communities with the club to look out for these people and her her comments directly conflict with her job title that's the thing that like blows my mind how the people she's meant to serve are the people those tweets go against yeah, it just blows my mind
0: now uh unfortunately you know the u k isn't the only place that has issues with uh you know, racism and discrimination. You know, if we head over to Spain, uh Vinicius Jr., who probably now you can argue is one of the the best players in the liga, could claim for the best experienced uh racial abuse. Um as I think he was uh walking off the pitch um being substituted against uh real Valladolid on uh Friday and um there was there's videos of it after um, the fans abusing him and throwing objects off at him, this isn't the first time he's experienced uh, racist abuse Um, in the last year, yeah. you know, which is sad to say. And um, he afterwards tweeted and said, um, Racists continue to go to stadiums and watch the biggest club in the world up close, and La Liga continues to do nothing. I will continue with my head held high and celebrate my victories and those of Madrid. You know, a powerful statement of defiance uh and something that is you know encouraging la liga to do more you know which obviously if, if you get racially abused twice in a year you can argue it's not strong enough and what does the president of la liga uh, javier tebas decides to do instead of uh, maybe just focusing all his attention on this on the horrible act that's happened to vinicius he decides. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to say something about what he said. He's going to have to go for Vinicius. He says uh, he says that La Liga has been fighting racism for years. And he asks uh, Vinicius and says, it is unfair and untrue to publish that La Liga does nothing about racism. We are at your disposal so that together we can walk in the same direction. And I just don't see how in his head you he can... Decide that Vinicius is the bad guy in this because this is this is horrible. Because how when when whatever the league does, it is not enough. You know, I don't think any league in the world really does enough when it comes to racism. Because if they did, you know, there wouldn't there wouldn't be this racism. This wasn't one fan; these were, you know, a, a lot. Of, you know, arguably in the hundreds of fans that were abusing this player and. You know, it, I feel like it's insane to criticise the players' reaction over this. Uh, Arif, I want to hear what you, uh, how you feel about the situation.
1: Yeah, as as with the previous subject, this just really gets me annoyed. And we'd be all here all day if we speak about um, racism in football, because obviously it's not an issue in football, it's an issue in society and how everyone needs to be really educated. But what really annoys me um, about these sort of things is... How little... And Vinicius is right. It's, La Liga are not doing enough to sort this out. And that goes for the all leagues in Europe, the Premier League in this country as well. And what makes me sad and my, another reason, a fundamental reason for this podcast is we speak about these issues because look how quickly it's been forgotten. S- similarly with the Aston Villa um, situation, look how quickly it's been forgotten. It doesn't stay in the front of our minds nor do the media bring much attention to it so obviously Vinicius is going to speak up what football waits to happen is something major so either a player gets a banana thrown at them or has abuse on social media and then they'll bring out cute little shirts uh, cute little shirts condemning racism and stuff like that is what gets me really frustrated it's all it's, oh yeah, we're making changes. And when he calls it, when a player calls out the establishment saying you're not doing enough, instead of acknowledging it, they criticise him. It's, it's just so frustrating. And it's this idea of there's no room for racism, football, zero tolerance. That's not the truth. And we say, oh, but in football, we just want to focus on the sporting aspect. Remember when we had the Super League? Um, how quickly that got shut down? How... Fans, pundits, everyone was on it for like a consistent week. They, it was the pundits weren't at that time. The pundits weren't just focused on football. They made they went out their way to speak about how the Super League's ruining football, how it's how it's um, affecting the fans. But racism, you know what? That's that's not as important. We don't we don't care enough to uh, we care. We show you that we care. We're doing all these initiatives. Like I said, we're making these cute little shirts. But we don't really care enough to like have the same level of protest when a super league was getting made, and a super league wasn't just in this country. The protests were going across Europe. So it shows you don't don't pretend like you just folk, you you care about stuff that happens on the pitch. When it when stuff like the super league happens, then all the fans and all the pundits and rally around and love to make a big stance but when something as serious as racism imagine if we had like a week's worth of protests similar to what we had for the super league on racism where fans would storm their uh, I'm, I'm not condemning it but would storm their pitch during a ge- uh, prior to a game and the game couldn't start pundits would be uh, prior or during a game would have 30 minute segments just speaking on the matter how much of a massive change that would cause and how these racists would just shut up as opposed to um, voice their viral behaviours and just abuses.
0: Yeah, man, it's, an, it's annoying because, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Vinicius has experienced this before. uh he experienced this, I've seen it, he like, experienced it against uh, Real Mallorca in March of uh, 2022. He's also experienced it when, uh, at, at the camp now against Barca in October 2021. And We've spoken about this many times on this podcast about fans I think dehumanize and objectify black players. They just see him as an asset or someone that can help their team or someone that harms their team. You know? When Ivan Tony scores against uh a player's team, they decide, ah, oh, you know, we're gonna call him the N-word. We're gonna we're gonna be racist to him because he calls me you know, he calls he somehow causes you pain because he scores against your team. So you decide you wanna hurt him. Same with Vinicius. You know, I remember the thing people were saying Vinicius is they weren't they weren't doing this when he was stinking up the pitch. <laughs> Real. They're doing it now when he's good. It's like they they like, how dare this player uh, have the audacity to play well against my team. And you know, that's the point of you only care about black players if they're if they're benefiting you. And I feel honestly there's not enough to and there will never be enough done until we don't see these incidents anymore. And you can change fan culture because there are things that happen now that don't that don't happen that, that that has changed from the past. You know, you know after the stadium collapses, you know stadiums stop having standing seats. You know, people don't have alcohol. They bring alcohol to their seats. they throwing it onto the pitch. The you know, things that can change. You know. If, if there were Stewards I don't I don't wanna blame steward in, in sort of spotting out racist behaviour and calling it out. I think the real solution is it has to be other fans. If the other fans condemned racist abuse, then it it wouldn't happen. If 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 you know, let's say I'm fairly fans like age, you know, all had started booing the fans that were being racist or the fans around them just said, Why are you doing that? I think it would go. And until we see clubs in the league, you know Sort of embolden fans and or encourage them to call out this behavior. It's gonna continue staying, and the fact that you know Tebas can uh, just decide to attack Vinicius because, like, this is him. If he's in less than uh, eighteen months, if you if if I'm a footballer in less than eighteen months at three different teams, the fans oh, racially abusing meat you know that's that's a problem that that's a problem deeper than uh like uh just a one off incident and shows that society ain't doing enough to cause this and i agree with you araf in the sort of they'll do the uh you know the symbolic gestures they'll do the gestures that make them look good but they won't they won't uh fully fight for it you know, almost in the sake of we've seen how if, if there's something that captures the psyche of the fans, there will be something. You know, I condemned what Zuma did with the, um, with the the cat, but you see the backlash of it and how the fans really uh, condemned that. And you know, let's be real, there hasn't been that sort of backlash in the same way when a player's been accused of racism, or you know, which there has been in the league in recent history, and. You gotta think about why that is, and ultimately, a lot of people in society don't see racism as something that's too deep and something that really is not too bad. They'll see the, the you know if a black man dies, they'll be like, "Oh, that's horrible," but the day-to-day racism that causes it, they don't really care about. They're just like, "That isn't that isn't a, necessarily a big problem," and and I think what Tebas says. Kind of reinforces that. So that's it for this week's episode of Beyond the Pond. Uh, we covered uh, Ronaldo moving to Al nasir uh, Aston Villa's equality, diversity, and inclusion officer not really doing things that promote equality, diversity, and uh, inclusion, and uh, how La Liga handled another instance of Vinicius Junior getting racially abused horribly, and what that tells us about society. You know. We hope to hear from you next time, guys, and thank you for listening.